Good evening, everyone. We're live broadcasting August, uh, September 5th, 2015. Today, as you can see, I'm alone. I did not invite Robin to this hangout. But there was a reason for not inviting Robin to this hangout. Because... Here's Robin. He's got a mic there. So everybody say hello to Robin. And you can sit closer. I didn't just, I moved the, that chair is a little tough to move. So yeah, we're still both here, except now we're both really here. And we are ready to go. Ryan says, hi, Robin. Hi, Ryan. Hi, everyone. Here's the mic. Yeah. Hi, Ryan. Hi, hi everyone. Is this working? Yes. So today we have a quote. Are you able to read that for us? Yes. We have it there. Today we just got back from the new building. Uh, no pictures yet. I suppose we should take some pictures for everybody, right? A video. Video. Robin brought a desk, a bookshelf, a whole bunch of stuff that we have to put together. I don't know what it is, though. So. What else? So tomorrow we're going to move all this computer stuff. And then, well, anyway, it's all, you know, oh, tomorrow, so tomorrow, but then We'll do that in the, some in the morning, and then we have our volunteer meeting at 12. And we Sudimaga and Pali at 1 and 2 o'clock. And then we'll be back here again at 9. Right, anyway, you probably knew all that. So let's get on with the show. What's the quote? Possessed of two things in this very life, one lives in much ease and happiness, firmly directed toward the ending of the defilements. What to? Being moved by a sense of urgency when it is appropriate and having a clear goal. Sadhu. Problem is it's not, this mic is different for the audio. That's okay. All right, so this is from the Itivutaka. And again, I get the feeling that he picked the wrong, he picked the less quotable part, but I guess it's, as prose, it's, he's not so interested in the poetry, because what he says right, what the Buddha says right after that is quite, I don't know, maybe it's more difficult to translate into English. Uh, another thing is he uses a really strange sort of translation, given that it is actually um, these two things are related to each other, and it, that doesn't come across, right? 
a sense of urgency when it is appropriate and having a clear goal there's no i mean that, that isn't even exactly what the buddha is saying let's find out what he's saying we will go to the poly hey do you guys want a quick poly lesson why not huh? let's see Okay, now everyone gets to see the digital poly reader. Let's, let's see about making it that work. Why didn't that work? All right, just a second. Oh, there we are. Okay, yeah, the full thing. Okay, so this is the Itibhutaka, right? Itibhutaka Dukanipata. And here's what the Buddha says Dvihi bhikkhuve dhammehi samanagato bhikkhu. A bhikkhu who is endowed with, with two dhammas, bhikkhus. Tideva dhamme sukha somanasabahulo viharati dwells full of happiness sukha would be physical happiness somanasa is mental happiness titevadame means uh, invisible reality which means right here and now basically and cha here's a cha and his or her yoni Yoni actually means womb, but here I guess it means nature or core being, right? Yoni is a complicated word. His being is arada hoti, asavanankayaya, is uh, fixed, basically, bent upon the destruction of the taints. So, so far so good. I think he, he captured that with his translation. But then he says, Katamehi dvihi, which two? Sangvejaniye sudhane su, samvejaneena. Endowed with, this means endowed with sangweja. Sangweja means agitation or stirred, right? What did he say? What is the translation? He is uh, moved, right? Moved by things that are worth being worth worthy of of, ma of moving one. Moved by things that are moving, agitated by things that are a cause for agitation. I Means stirred, you could say. So, like death, for example, people who are stirred by death because death is something that is stirring. So, so far, I think he's still good, but then he misses it with a second one, because this this here samwiga means one who is agitated. It's the same word as these other two. This one is stirred by things. Tana means place. It's figuratively means a place, but a thing, which are um, cause for, and the niya means cause for sangweja. So it's, it's sangweja by things that are a cause for sangweja. So stirred by things that are a cause for being stirred. And this means being stirred, right? So it's the same word. Being stirred, pad padana means effort, really. 
right? Strives. Yoniso patanena. Yoniso to his core, from his core kind of thing. He says wisely. It really means from the core, to the core. You know, puts out effort wholeheartedly. Or you could say, it's often used to mean wisely. So it could mean judiciously, you know uses proper and wise energy wise effort but that's what it means being stirred puts out effort and the buddha uses these two phrases often you know the people people who are stirred by things that are worthy of stirring that are stirring and the buddha i believe i've read a quote elsewhere where the buddha said i don't because i don't think i could find the actual quote i remember looking for it but or maybe I did anyway. So just a quote that stuck with me. Uh, stirred by... Few are the people, few are the beings who are stirred by those things that are stirring. But even fewer are those having been stirred, having become agitated, actually do yoni sopadana, actually put out effort from the heart. Right? So... There you go, Pali lesson. Why am I screen sharing again? Stop. Can I stop? How do I close that? All right. Okay. Are we good? We're good. No, we're not good. What's wrong with you? Okay. So the meaning is, this is a pair that the Buddha uses often. The people, the being stirred by things that are stirring, and having been stirred, putting out effort. Two things that are necessary, and that's important to to to. You see how how. How he's kind of lost it with his translation. It's important. The connection is important, you know. The because some people do uh, become agitated and think, "Yeah, I should go and meditate. Yeah, I should practice morality. Yeah, I should do good things. You know, I should work." But they don't ever do it. You see, I mean, it's much easier to say, "I will, I will, I will," than to actually do it. And that's what the meaning is here. So. To actually live in he, in ease, in live at ease with happiness, firmly directed towards the right path, the ending of defilements, you need both. You need both. You could say the second one is enough, but the second one only comes from the first one. So the point is, it's not enough to be stirred. You have to actually put out effort. So there's our quote for today. And a free poly lesson to boot. Not too much to say about it, I suppose, besides that. But it's a good quote. Ah, but what I wanted to say is he missed the... the so let's... How about another poly lesson? <laughs> no, I won't put you through that. But I'm going to read the poly to you. Uh, the, because right after that, because this is the Itivuttaka, which has a lot of verses in it, 
And so right after that, he has a verse for us that's poet poetic. Sangvejaniya thanesu sangvijeteva pandito A wise person should become stirred by things that are stirring. Atapi nipakobiko panyaya samavekiya Atapi with effort Nipako, a wise or discerning bhikkhu, panyaya samvekya, samavekya, sama even vekya, vekati, should look at, right, consider. A wise being should uh, look upon, well, be observant, Samavikya means to be observant but level-headed, you know, to observe equanimously with wisdom. Atapi nipako bhikkhu panyaya samavikya. That's a good word, samavikya. means to observe objectively. With sama means, it's like the, like the English word same, but it means level. It's like samadhi, it's where the word samadhi comes from to be, uh, or samahita. Evang vihariya tapi santa uti anudato. Dwelling thus with effort again, atapi santa uti anudato. Santa uti means behaving peacefully, right? With a conduct, a peaceful conduct. Anudato, un, uninflated or un, you know, inflated means like um, puffed up, you know, boastful. Sort of full of oneself. So not that. So humble basically. Jeto samatamanyuto kayangdukasa papuni. Might have sounded more poetic if I hadn't torn it to pieces, but Jeto Samatamanyuto means to be connected, practice connected with well, let's say put out effort for Mental tranquility, kayang dukasapapuni. Such a person attains the ending of suffering. So, destruction of suffering. Yeah, so that's the poetry. Any questions? I have a question. Okay. Not about the quote. I think you need the mic. Oh. Sorry, I have a question. Not about the quote, is that okay? Yep. So people have been dying quite a bit lately, you mentioned. There's been mm -hmm. a lot of funerals. Today, another funeral. Today, another funeral. And you mentioned that, you know, monks aren't priests. They don't do priestly things. But what would a monk do at a Buddhist funeral? What's the appropriate thing for a monk to do? Honestly, I'm not sure that we should even be going to Buddhist funerals. I mean, what business is that? Is it of ours when people die? I don't know. It's not really. I mean, that's the point. That's why I've been grumbling about this, is that I don't see why we're going at all. This morning we went and got fed. And I mean, that's really our role is people... See, I, I always, again and again, I repeat three things. You, when a person dies, one, you should not grieve. And so this morning I led them through a meditation, you know, to, to help them be mindful of the sadness. I mean, most of them are hungover and whatever. <laughs> but uh, um, 
Number two, you should do good deeds on behalf of the person who's passed away in their name. And number three, you should reflect on your own death. So I go through these, explain them all. But number two is a big one. You know, you you want to feel good about you want to you want to to uh, come to terms with this person's death. Uh, doing good deeds in their name is is a great way to do that. So inviting the monks for lunch that's the purpose of it. And people don't, I think, get that. They kind of do it because this person has died. What should we do? What does the tradition say? And so it's just basically what the tradition does says i don't i mean i shouldn't that's not i shouldn't paint everyone with the same brush there's a lot of people who do understand this but i don't get the general sense that the the, the family is 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 really in tune with that um or it's uh, maybe not stressed enough anyway but that's the point so so monk the role of the monks and it's not even the the point is that's not why we ordain as monks. We don't ordain as monks to do weddings and funerals and births and whatever. We ordain to leave the world and to teach meditation at, at most, right? To teach Buddhism. So our first role is as a recipient of gifts because they want to do something good, so they support Buddhism. That's a good thing. Second, our role is to teach. So you could argue that we are invited to the funeral to teach and that's really how it happened today right no i think it would have worked better if we had just gone for lunch and i'd given a talk and that was it we don't have to go to the funeral hall we don't have to go to the crematorium but we did both we went to the funeral hall and we sit through you know listening to this person's life history someone's telling this person and it's like why are we listening why this isn't about us. It's we're not a part of this family. I didn't even know the guy. One thing you could argue is this guy was a monk before at our monastery here, apparently for a month. So that was, I think, a big reason for the head monk here actually gave a talk about him, or like gave a part of his history, talked about him after I gave my talk. Um, but then after that, then we sat around waiting, and then we drove all the way across town to the crematorium. And then why are we at the crematorium? And then we did more chanting, the same chanting. We did the same chanting three times. And it's uh, it feels kind of like we're deluding people, because I, we all know that it doesn't mean much to do this chanting. It's just kind of anyway. I guess I'm 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 jaded and cynical. But what is a monk's role? I think. I can think of two things. One is, you know, to to be a recipient of of their their good deeds, and two to teach them. So they sh it's good that they uh, they got a teaching and that they we sat down and meditated together. I think there's no question that that's proper and that's something they should do when someone dies. I just feel that we we get a little too involved. I thank you for explaining it because I really didn't understand that. I'm newer to Buddhism, you know, just a few years, and it, you know, it's hard to understand these these nuances. You know how things are so different unless somebody tells you right out. So that was interesting. Thank you. I mean, the thing is to remember what the definition of a monk is. Monk, as I said, comes from mono, which means alone. The idea of a monk is to stay alone, and that's really what we are. If you read the Buddhist teaching. There are no Buddhist priests. Buddhism wasn't a priestly religion. It wasn't about taking care of people and fitting in with society. It was a radical 
renunciation of the world. And that's really the core of Buddhism. So a Buddhist priest is not really what the Buddha had in mind. If you're helping people, there's a lot of talk about teaching and helping people, right? But you got to be clear how what, what is meant by that. Getting involved in, in worldly things is quite dangerous. I mean, if it were right, it wouldn't be dangerous. If that were, were the goal of, of Buddhism, to, to help the world and to you know, make life more livable but for people, uh, you know, like to fit in with society and make society a better place, then it would be fine. But it's quite dangerous because it's, it's not. And then when, when monks do undertake those activities, then monks who don't undertake those activities are frowned upon or are criticized for not and you've got this in the in the Vinaya it talks about this where monks would you know follow after the whims of lay people and then another monk came and he just did meditation all the time and they said well, what use is this monk what good is he and he was an arahant so they were criticizing this guy for you know he was what when he walked he would walk downcast and and uh, had a peaceful countenance but they thought wait well, he doesn't even say hello to us you know he's not engaging and uh, so, yeah, something we have to be clear what to expect from monks are not civil servants, and in many society, in many cultures now, they've become civil servants. Basically, I think that's the right term, like people who work for like public servants, kind of thing. We read a lot about that in the Visuddhimagga, all the different things that mm. monks weren't supposed to do, yeah. run errands and do messages and all those kind of things. I was invited to teach in, in California a uh, second time. I went the first time and it was so, so uh, successful that they invited me to come back the next time. And they had also done... They had also supported me a lot, and they had done a great thing on my behalf. Um, they had supported me, uh, and and really helped me out. So, when it came time to go again, my teacher wouldn't let me go, and so we had to beg and plead. And I don't think he ever really gave me permission to go, but I went anyway. Not proud of that, but uh, what he I said, you know, look, these people have been so helpful to me. I can't say no to them, and he said. Well, you pay them back by practicing well. <laughs> Rather than go and teach them. That's a good point, you know. But it's that's a very Buddhist point. Is that, no, you, you, it's not gratitude to go and work for them. It's gratitude for you to practice well on your own. Okay, more questions? Are you going to... You, you've got them on there, huh? Are you on Wi-Fi? Um, not at the moment. Should we, we shut down the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Oh, I, that's okay. At what point is it useful to discontinue as a regular vipassana practice to temporarily take up other kinds of meditations to combat certain defilements, such as practicing mindfulness of death to overcome lethargy? Or is vipassana meditation as described in your booklet, ultimately enough to overcome any defilement. Thank you, Bhante. I think ultimately, yes, it's enough, but that's like ultimately, right? In the meantime, the rest of them are, are protective. It's not that 
you know, if your vipassana is going well, you don't say, okay, that's enough of that, let me try another meditation. It's when your vipassana is not going well for some reason reason or another, when you feel you just can't practice vipassana because you're too angry or because you're too lazy or so on. Then you can use these other ones to bolster your practice and get you back on track. That's more how it is. They're not any of them necessary, but they're all useful. How do the stages of knowledge work? For instance, is dissolution something that you pass through every time you sit down to meditate? And do you have to pass through it on the way to cessation? I don't understand this in the context of the Venerable Sariputta realizing cessation upon hearing a teaching. Yeah, the, the stages of knowledge are not something you should think about. They're best, mostly. I mean, unless you are someone who's gone through a course with a teacher based on the, the stages of knowledge. If you haven't done that yet, um, unless you're really on your own and don't have the opportunity to do such a course, but are you know dedicated to the practice, then and only then should you really worry about the stages of knowledge. So if that's the case, um, so the problem is it's you, you easily fall into this kind of confusion about the stages, not really getting what is meant. It's much better to have a teacher. I'm hesitant to exactly answer your question because, um, you know, well, because this is a public forum and because even for you, I don't know, it's it's easy to, uh, if you the more you know about the stages of knowledge without actually having gone through a course based on them, the more confused you can get. It actually doesn't help to, to know more about them always. So, I mean, it could benefit you, but I'm hesitant to actually get into that sort of stuff. I'm more cautious. Can I give you some general advice about it? Let me think. As to the solution. Well, the stages of knowledge, yes, you do have to go through them all, but um, it's more, the course, a course based on them is more about stretching them out and, and going over them repeatedly, say, for a day. So you spend a day on each stage of knowledge. Um, but that does. But Sariputta went through them all in a few moments. So the course is more about going over them in order to 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 be clear about them. I mean, the Visuddhimagga, which is really the text that talks about them and 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 sets the basis for such a course. Um, the whole the whole book is all about uh, repetition. Um, what do you call pedantry is the word? I don't know. I mean, being um, structured and methodical, um, sometimes overly so, it seems, but it's for the purpose of becoming a master at these things. I mean, Sariputta was, was just winging it. You know, he didn't need all of this structure for the rest of us. You know, we can't just sit down and like Sariputta and become enlightened or fan the Buddha and become an Arahant. You know, we have to, we need the structure. I mean, the structure makes it far more certain that you're going to go the right way. That's about it. So I hope that, you know, I don't want to get too much and I don't want people thinking, I don't want to talk too much about the stages of knowledge because 
they're really um, something more for um, a teacher to use and doesn't even have to tell their students about them but to use in determining the, the state of the student's practice and in, in leading the student through the practice. Okay, more questions? Yes. How can we know if we are making the right effort on one task? Um, how can we know if we are making right effort? Right effort is specific. Right effort is specifically um, the active the activity that you put forth, the 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 effort that you put forth to uh, remove defilements that have arisen, prevent defilements from arising, uh, cultivate uh, wholesome states that haven't arisen, and maintain wholesome states that have arisen. It's a description of an aspect of the practice or an a, a quality of the practice, quality of, the, of right practice, whereby one is um, perfectly in line with wholesomeness and moving perfectly, completely away from unwholesomeness. So how would you know if you're practicing right effort, if there's less wholesome, less unwholesomeness and more wholesomeness, if your mind is cultivating wholesomeness and moving away from unwholesomeness? Bhante, why did you do more than just teach? I get pulled into things that I don't want or think I should do. So this question is more about me seeking an answer for me. I don't get it more than just teach. Do I do more than just? Ah, yeah, well, I do do some things more. Uh, I try different things personally. Um, but okay, let's, let's relate it more to you. Yes, it's easy to get pulled into things. Um, I mean, I think one advice I'd give is is don't be afraid to stop doing something when you realize that it's more effort than it's worth. I think some, that's something that I've uh, had to had to do. You know, realize that okay, wait, this is, this is you know less benefit, more effort. Right? But some things are very little effort and a lot of benefit. I mean, I think this website is a good example. This website, building this website, wasn't teaching, but the effort that went into it wasn't substantial compared to the benefit that comes from it. And it was interesting this conversation I had with someone who was quite helpful and he wanted me to do it the right way. You know, why make the website yourself? We've got all these tools that will do it for you. But I've been there, done that, and that is more effort than it's worth to me. I mean, to me, this was, you know, we want this, let's do it, and then we can just make it do exactly what we want. And so I went ahead and did it. Thank you for making it. But um, I don't know if that completely answers the question. Getting pulled into things. You know, be careful not to judge too quickly because sometimes you do something and then you feel guilty about it. And guilt can be a killer as well. And sometimes it's not as bad as you think. But be flexible. Don't be stubborn and say, well, I started it, I have to finish it. <laughs> I mean... I'm that way. 
I don't think you have to finish things if they turn out to be wasteful. You have to be flexible. And, uh, you know, a, the path isn't always straight. Sometimes it's trial and error and spending a lot of time trying to figure out the right path for you. And that's how I've seen it. How about if other people are kind of pulling you into their things, you know, wanting to, you to fix their problems and get involved and be compassionate? Mm -hmm. and Don't fall into the compassion trap. I mean, to some extent, don't fall into the compassion trap because to some extent you have to do like why i go to these funerals a lot of it is just it's more effort than it's worth to say no if i said no someone would be angry at me right and i think that's wrong i think if people want you to do something i, I feel comfortable arguing and saying no this is a waste of time but i'm not going to say no and I refuse to go tomorrow we have a lunch we're going to lunch and uh I don't want to go to lunch, you know, I, we, we've got work to do tomorrow, but there's a lunch done. And I mean, actually, it's ridiculous because they're feeding me. Why am I not going? But it just made me think about it. When I thought about it, it was, you know, he, he the, the head monk really wanted me to go. And, and there's no way that I could get out of this. And that's that's the point. I think we cross that that line too often. That's something you have to learn to do. Don't cross that line. You can say no. But when it comes to the point where saying no is really going to hurt someone, so you end up being quite compassionate and you end up helping helping people a lot more than you would think because people get angry quite easily, right? Why don't you help me? Well, often the easiest thing to do, the best thing to do for the most peace and happiness in the future is to do something even though it gets you caught up. I mean, part of that is the practice. It's partly meditation practice because you are sacrificing you're letting go of your own comfort your own desires your own opinions you know you're being patient you can be mindful doing just about anything you know? so sometimes you have to let people pull you in but there are other times where you let people pull you in where you know to where you're fixing their problems and they no longer are that's the point where you can say no i mean i, I think that's the clearest where people are no longer taking responsibility for themselves like when parents dump their kids on us and say okay i want you to fix my kid <laughs> that's not my job they're your kids you are responsible for them I'm not going to fix your problems. I'm not going to fix their problems. If you want to come and meditate, you come and... Because the point is the kids aren't, aren't interested. The kids don't want to come and learn. So I'm not fixing your problems. If the kid comes and says, hey, I want to learn meditation, absolutely, I'm happy to teach you. But there's a line there, you see. When the person doesn't want to, you're, 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 it's like you're working for the person. You become their like daycare almost, but it's not quite daycare. You, you're fixing the parent's problems. Not, that's not right. I think I think there's a there's a model there that you can follow to find the line between when when it's proper to help and when you actually start doing other people's work for them or working for people. And if you're working for people, you should get paid. 
it, right? I mean, that's the point is if it feels like this is something I should do out of compassion, that's one thing. If it feels like, man, I should be getting paid for this, then I think you've crossed the line. I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. It's probably more complicated than that, but something like that. When meditating, I often begin to feel my eyes start to flutter about and light comes before my closed eyelids. No matter how hard I try to concentrate on my meditation object, I can always feel my eyes moving and fluttering about. How do I get past this? It's not anything to get past. It's something to meditate on. These kind of things are common. It's kind of the problem isn't the isn't the light the light or the fluttering. The problem is that you have a problem with it, and you're somewhat obsess obsession with it. And that's what you have to overcome. There's so many things like this. It's common. I mean, the mind obsesses. It likes to obsess. If everything's not purpose, it will, per perfect, it wants to fix things. So you know, this is want to get past this state. It's no, nothing to get past. That's reality. It's impermanent suffering and non-self. It's not something you should be at all concerned with. So you have to get to the point where you are just experiencing it, you know, seeing, seeing, or feeling, feeling, frustrated, frustrated, when you want it to go away, wanting, or so on, when you dislike it, disliking, disliking. And you have to have the sort of the sense that if this is how I'm going to meditate for the rest of my life, then so be it. It won't be, but you have to be, you have to let go of it. That's key. Stop, stop worrying about it, fussing about it. Jesse was just setting my phone so it doesn't... Well, Charlie was asking specifically about the funeral. Why did I do more than, than teach? Yeah, I think I kind of mentioned it, but it was mainly because the head monk is... You know, I'm, I'm living here with them. Um, sometimes you have to do things. I mean, I, I feel like I have to do things that I'd rather not. I mean, I'm protesting against it in my own way. But... I'm careful not like, okay, here's a good example, perfect example. We we got to the lunch today and uh, we're sitting down and they're bringing food in. And then this woman, I guess the daughter of the man who passed away, comes up with a big piece of paper and says, this is the, this is his life story in English. And she comes to me and she says, she says to the head monk, can he say it? Can I have him read this? And I said, no, there's no way I'm reading that. <laughs> and, and she said, but it's in English. And then they started talking back and forth in Cambodian. I don't know quite what they were saying. But, uh, you know, he's the one, who, you know, his English is good. He can say it. And then the, the monk said, uh, the other monk said something about, oh, no, he's leaving and going to the, he's going to school. And I said, no, that's not the reason. It's not monks. It's not a monk's job to read some layperson's life story that's not my job so i do have i do have things that i will i would never have done that there's no way but there is some you know give like for example that time when we were going to do three walks around the the place i i didn't really feel comfortable with that but to some extent i could just say okay now i'm walking 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 
and it was quite peaceful actually it was an excuse for me to do a walk in the sun get some sun you know so to some extent you can think like that i i think you have to be careful because at the same time i felt like we were giving the wrong sending the wrong message giving the wrong impression to people of what monks are that were some kind of civil servant who does funerals you know like who leads people on these walks around which i don't think we are now if it had been a monk or something that's what i asked today he said uh, he said uh, no we have to go to the crematorium we it's what monks do i said what was he a monk <laughs> so he wasn't a monk i don't feel we have any obligation to do these things not even it's not even about having an obligation it's it it's it gives people the wrong idea because it it there's a monk in sri lanka who i lived with and he refused to go to funerals for this very reason because he said this isn't why we ordained if if i were to accept start accepting these things i'd never get any meditation done they'd, they'd invite me daily to weddings and funerals and da 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 everything so he refused to do it and he said there's a monastery there's a temple down the road who does them and so people go to them and they know not to come to me anymore because i refuse to do them is there a tradition of meditating for when a monk dies meditating like a kind of a marathon overnight it was something they had done at at wat lao in connecticut um a monk passed away and um there was a a full weekend, like a three-day weekend of meditation for him. I didn't yeah. know that was just something special they did. Tradition, or... Buddhist traditions, if anyone, you know, this kind of question doesn't work. There are no Buddhist traditions like that. You know, there aren't even really many Buddhist traditions. The best, the best way to get as close to a Buddhist tradition is to read the Jatakas. Because, yes, there is a little bit in there about certain things, like the... And not just the Jatakas, but this going around something three times. There are examples. There are things that did happen. But to say they're a tradition, I mean, the best you could say is they did this in the Buddha's time, because you have an example in the suttas. Like these big, there was this one case where the whole city, the king made a huge, he, he, he made this great charity. You know, he invited all the monks and... I think it was, I guess it was just the monks, but he did some great almsgiving. And then all the people in the city wanted to beat him. And so they all did some even greater almsgiving. And then the king didn't even, and finally, you know, back and forth. Uh, and I think finally the people did something that was just, the king, the king had to had to concede and said, and was unable to compete. I mean, you have stories like this where the people did certain things. Uh, there was there are events like that. There's the building of monasteries that you hear about, but traditions like when someone dies, you do this. When so it's they followed mostly Hinduism, you know, to some extent. I guess Buddhism, because Buddhism wasn't following Hinduism, they mostly just cut out the rituals. There's not much. There are things like when you offer something to someone, you pour water over your hand. It's something like I think it's something like washing your hands of it. But like now it's become, uh, they pour water every time they give. You know, you've seen them pouring the water. Originally, it was when you give something, you you it's like you shook the other person's right hand and you pour water over your hands. But it was kind of like the water symbolizes washing your hands or something. So there's no nothing, not a trace of that thing left. 
when you give something. So I think people would hold their hand out and pour water over their hand. That was a tradition, and Buddhists seem to have done it. But it was because it was a tradition at the time in India. Well, that's interesting. I've, I've seen the pouring water. I had no idea. That's pretty that sure that's from. where. I mean, it's that, and it's these this sutta where it says that water, just as water uh, flows down from the mountains to reach the sea, so too when you give some gift, uh, it flows down, and 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 the uh, ghosts, hungry ghosts, are hanging out, are able to get benefit from it as well. That's the Yathavarivaha Pura Paripurinti Sakaram, which we always chant. And when we chant that in Thailand, then they pour the water. So it's just become, but it's all made up, you know, and you can see them making it up. Monks start to make these things up. Okay, now we'll do this, now we'll do that. So some of it's good. Like that wouldn't be a tradition, that was just a good idea. This monk died, let's do a three day meditation course. That's awesome. But I would look at that much more as a, oh, they had this good idea to do that. And that's important because people get so stuck on tradition. And I hear lay people here all the time saying crazy things. Oh, you have to do this. Oh, you have to do that. Like the women at the funeral had to wear white. And once they wore white, they had to keep five precepts, which is ridiculous. You're all, you all have to keep five precepts. We all, all humans have to keep five precepts, right? So when it starts to become tradition, then it's just ritual. You know, you're just doing it because it's ritual. It should, it's much better off when you say, look, this monk died. I've got an idea. Let's do a three-day meditation course uh, because that's going to allow us to cultivate wholesome mind states and we can use that, you know, it's a way of uh, honoring him. It's a way of uh, allowing him a chance to feel happy for our, our efforts and therefore get benefit from our efforts, that kind of thing. Thank you. Can you be more specific when you say in the Winnie is one? What about the computer one? Are they in order? Mm. I've got Ryan asking about tips for being mindful working oh, I'm at a sorry. computer. Sorry. Do you have any tips for being mindful working at a computer? Sorry, Ryan. Again, it's like someone asked yesterday or the day before. There's no tips. You've got to work at it. You know, you've got to do it. There's no, no secret to it. I mean, you know what mindfulness is. You know how I've explained it in the booklet. If you follow the Mahasi Sayada tradition, it's quite simple. There's no mystery. You just do it or you don't. You know, you can, as I said, you can find these 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 um, tricks, but I don't think in the long run they're all that helpful. Maybe people, Maybe they are. Maybe people do. I prefer the more organic approach of you know not having any trick and just working at it chipping away chipping away until you get better at it to me that seems more honest but sure if you want let's you know download a timer app that goes off every minute and bings and and then you say oh, okay there's the timer again i have to be mindful i don't know if that would work over the long term my gut feeling says it's it's um it may be helpful, but not as helpful as people would think because you're looking for tricks. And that part of the mind that's looking for a, a, an easier way, looking for a, a boost to the practice is this kind of this lazy part of our mind that doesn't want to just do the practice, right? Doesn't want to try again, try again, try again. And that's all it is, is trying again, trying again. 
There's so much you have to learn and adjust about yourself before you can become truly mindful. It's about adjusting all these things until you're just trying. You're not in the past, you're not looking for the future. Can you be more specific when you say in the Winia some people dis disapproved of an arhat not being involved with lay people enough? Mm -hmm. I wonder now whether it was actually in the Winia. I'm pretty sure it was. So what's the rule? We've got the Sangha Disesa. Sangha Disesa number 13, right? The last Sangha says is probably where you'd find it. But I'm going to get them mixed up. There's lots of different stories. But there's one story, I'm pretty sure it's on Sangha Disesa number 13, where these monks were acting in all sorts of inappropriate ways. Like, there's an example. Um, yeah, it's got to be number 13 because they were, they were doing things like... Um, well, just just sitting around chatting with lay people, uh, flattering them, uh, bringing them things like bringing flowers to lay people, or now we have these bracelets that we give to them, but doing it in such a way, you know, ingratiating themselves with the lay people to the point, and smiling and laughing and and carrying on playing games with the lay people, uh, like it talks about these things that they were doing all sorts of inappropriate things. One thing it mentions is bouncing children on their laps. So when they would go to see the lay people, they would pick up the kid and, you know, and that ingratiates you with people. It makes, it certainly makes you feel, them feel like you're part of the family. And then this Arahant showed up. I'm pretty sure it was an Arahant and um, <laughs> did none of these things. So he would walk into the village like this. And then they looked at them and they're like, who is this guy? You know, hello. <laughs> hey, aren't you going to be friendly? And he was totally, if you have something to give, and you know, please, please give it. If not, I'll be on my way. They're like, what the heck? What kind of a, what kind of a thing to say is that? You're not going to come and sit down and chat with us and you know, tell us who you are, where you're from. No, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, it's not proper for me to engage in such talk. What do you mean not proper? And then they'd be so upset, you know, they'd be upset with this monk who was trying to do the right thing and who was totally in the right. And they, this happened. And as a result, you know, people spread it, the, the, the good monks spread it around that these monks were corrupting. Kuladusaka is the term, someone who corrupts families. You corrupt them, give them the wrong impression. I mean, I've had this, of course, when, I, when people hear that I don't use money, they get angry at me. Lay people think you know how you know what kind of a monk are you we want to give you we want to give you money and here you are not accepting our money how is that right right like we have an obligation to be the recipients of of gifts there were monks who refused robes people would give the monks robes and the monks would say i have enough i have three robes already and nowadays monks try to tell you that if you do that you're you're just the worst of the worst you, they say you cannot, uh, it's not allowed for a monk to reject the offering of a layperson. I mean, it's a convenient excuse. Oh, yes, I have to take. Oh, yes, give me more. Oh, yes, I'll take it all. I have to. It's against the rules not to, which is horse feathers. It's against the rules to take more than, than you need. 
And so refusing is a big part of it. It's an example. I mean, there's so many things like that that I've come across where, you know, like the funeral today, if I don't go, if I don't do these things, not to speak badly about the monks. The monks here are great guys, but we have different ideas of Vinaya, and they know it, I know it. We're fine with that. We're all good friends. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm here on the internet going behind their back criticizing them. Yeah, I say it to their face as well. When you said about giving up bracelets, I was showing my bracelets. I have two of those. Yeah. I mean, my teacher, <laughs> gives like a, my teacher gives out bracelets, and he does a lot of these things, but he's got a sense of the worth of it. You know, the bracelet is useful. There's lots of reasons why it's useful, uh, because it reminds you of the Buddha. It reminds you of the Dhamma, the Sangha. The point is when monks take this as their practice, they go to people's houses with these things, and, you know, this is their their thing. But a lot of the reason why I think my teacher does it is just because it's it's that. It's become to the point where people are corrupt and they expect these things from monks. But there, are other, there are other reasons. You know, you, people who can't understand the Dhamma, people who are into this kind of thing, you give them something, it makes them feel good, it gives them a reminder, and it sends them on their way, and they're happy. So it is kind of a path of least resistance. Anyway. It also reminds me of impermanence because it's made of string and it's falling mm -hmm. apart. It won't last forever. I frequently feel people will judge me harshly and this makes me be worried all the time. Could this change with Vipassana meditation? Absolutely. Worry will go away. You have to think think this whole idea of self is just a flaw is just a flawed reason it's a wrong view the whole idea of you having a self when you say oh yeah yeah well, that that idea of self is 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 wrong and then you don't have to worry about people judging you, you know? when you think of when you think of non self it uh, it really helps you overcome that i mean that's that's an attitude that you have to have but as you start to meditate your worry will go away, and you'll realize that all there is is experience. And this other, when other people are judging me, that's just a judgment. It's just a, a, an experience. You know, there's no self involved in that experience. You have, to, you have to open yourself up to things that we would n not be able to tolerate normally. You know, people are going to judge me. That's an experience. People are going to hit me with sticks and stones. That's an experience. They're going to kill me. It's an experience. So absolutely, once you start meditating, that's how you'll approach these things. You won't see a person judging you. You'll see feelings that you have, experiences that you have, and so on. Do you offer a one-week meditation course at the New Urban Monastery if one could get up to Hamilton for the week? Absolutely. We don't offer a one-week meditation course. We offer a 21-day meditation course for newbie, for beginners. It's approximately 21 days. You can do it a little bit shorter. But if you want to come for a week, you'll get a start on the course. And then later, maybe you could come for another week and continue the course. But sure, you can come for three days. You can come for one night tomorrow. Tomorrow, Meghna is coming for the night. So, 
She just wants to stay overnight because that's the most time she has. So yeah, you're welcome. As long as we have the space. And if we don't, you can stay in a tent or just stay in the basement. So the new the new place has a nice basement that's open and people can sleep there and meditate there. It's quite nice. We also have rooms. Is that your battery? Do you have this? Uh, it's a little too wide for my it's a different one. All right, so let's stop there. We're at one hour almost. Thank you, everyone. So tomorrow we will be on, but Monday I think I'm just going to have to skip it because Monday night we have a meeting. I have a meeting, first meeting with the McMaster Buddhism Association, and it starts at 7, and I don't think we'll... I mean, maybe we'll be done by 9, but because I'm not going to have internet anyway, I think we'll just better skip it. I don't think I could use 3G with this. It's probably too expensive. I mean, it's not too expensive, but it's probably not worth it. Let's just skip a day. Ryan asks, can we come and stay indefinitely to meditate? But that's all the time we have for tonight, so... That sounds like ordaining. Yeah. No, we don't have a time limit. If you want to stay indefinitely, probably won't kick you out unless you're really rude and mean and stuff. Anyway, good night. Thank you, Bhante. Thank you, Robin.